From the Gospel according to St. Luke, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Have a seat. Good morning, friends. It's been kind of an eventful week, I should say. Father Gritter said, are you going to go in there and knock the house down with your sermon? Get it? Um, it's interesting that we're here today. Uh, many, you may not know this, but a lot of uh, churches, I won't name any because I don't actually know, well, I shouldn't say that. Some churches actually have gone ahead and canceled services for today. And uh, I think that's actually, uh, well, I didn't do that, and I'll tell you why. Because I, I don't see the world that way. As Christians, we are called to see the world differently than everybody else. And what that means is that we uh, worship God, whether it's uh, always convenient or not. We will go, I would have been here today, unless I couldn't possibly get here, I would have been here today by myself celebrating the Eucharist, praying for you and everybody else in this parish. Why? Because the Christian worldview says that our focus is not on this world, but on the world to come. The kingdom of God, we've been talking about this for the past, well, all summer, really. Uh, we've been talking about the kingdom of God, about how we look at the world differently than our culture. Last week, I talked about the influence of demonic and the evil spirits on our lives. The point is, the reason we're here today is to thank God for sparing us thus far from the effects of Dorian, but more importantly, to refocus our view to take our, our attention out of the pit, where at least mine has been, watching the Weather Channel nonstop for the past 40, 72 hours, taking our, our, our spirits out of that, that downward view and lifting them up and worshiping God. I'm hoping and I pray that my, I will not have to watch the Weather Channel again until next September. I love the Weather Channel, but it's a bit like crack, right? You begin watching it over this hurricane, and you get so spun up, literally, that you, you begin to just be so fearful and just consumed with it. And the point I want you to say, see today is this, that we as Christians are called to live according to a different view of the world, right? To see the big picture. There was an article this past week in the Wall Street Journal. Anybody get the Wall Street Journal here? Uh, some of you do. Uh, it, was a, it was an article, actually it was a, 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 a survey, and they surveyed uh, younger folks, say, what do they call them, Gen, Gen Z, I guess, the millennials, and they were looking at how the, the, uh, the, the worldview of millennials is shifting away from religion. That they're seeing two things, declines in religious attendance and decline in patriotism. And, and those two things are very highly correlated, and it seems a little weird, except that what they, are, what they concluded was this, that the, the contemporary millennial worldview, right, how they see the world, has been, has been steeped in this idea of being global citizens for the past 25 years in the educational system, right? So therefore, as global citizens, our millennial uh, friends, our daughters and our sons, see sometimes things like patriotism and religion as divisive. Because we are now, according to this new worldview, we are called to be global citizens, right? There's a problem with that. There is no such thing as a global citizen, right? Where do you pay global taxes? <laughs> Where do you get your global passport? My point is this. A Christian worldview, which I'm going to talk about today, is radically different from anything else. 
And a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, not only explains the world in which we live, but also does not contradict itself. The, so we're going to look at that today, this idea of a biblical worldview. What is, what is Christianity all about? What is actually the end goal of this life? Where should our focus be? What's the deal? What's the meaning of life, you might say? And we're going to look at this today, and what the Christian worldview says is the point of life, and that is the goal of heaven. And I'm going to talk about this today in this parable of the wedding feast that Jesus gives us today. Two points today I want to talk about this idea of the Christian worldview, the lens through which we see the world, right? Is this lens waiting for heaven, expecting heaven, living for it, with two points. First, I want to look at the party that we were made for, the party that we're made for, and then secondly, I want to look at the way that we are invited to it. You ready? So the first thing I want to look at is the party that the Bible says you and I were made for. Here's a question. And this is a real question, so if you know the answer, yell it out. What was Jesus' first miracle? Anybody know? Cana, the wedding at Cana. His first miracle, the first thing he does is not heal the sick or raise the dead or, uh, or uh, cast out demons or walk on water or feed 5,000 people at once. He did all those things, yes, but the first thing he does, his inaugural act, is he keeps the party going. And that's critically important because, you know, public figures, when they make their first walk out into the spotlight, the first thing you do, you do deliberately because it's going to color everything else you do. And the first thing Jesus does, his first miracle, his first ministry, is a party. Now, I want you to see that as important because... I don't know if they did the chicken dance at the wedding at Cana. I don't know if they, I don't know how the whole, uh, the whole party went out, but I do know that it was a party of two, a young couple who were being married. The historical narrative, this really happened. And the wine begins to run out. And they, and, and that sounds like, you know, that's a big party foul, but the problem is, and these weddings would last for three and four days, and you invite your entire, your entire town. And so if the wine runs out, guess what? You're probably moving because the shame and the guilt would be extreme. And so Jesus sees this great big party foul, and he turns water into wine. You know the story. He turns water into wine. And then they say, well, wait, this, is, this is great wine. And they say, look, you know, ordinarily people, they go to the groom, and they say, ordinarily people serve the best wine at first, and then you know, the swill kind of later on when people have sort of had a few, but you've saved the best for now. Which proves again that Jesus was an Episcopalian, right? But the thing I want you to see, this is just so important, that the Christian message, heaven, the gospel, the Christian life is a party. And I don't say that lightly. And the reason I say that is because for so many people, maybe even for some of you, maybe you've had a bad experience in the church, maybe you were raised with a uh, someone like Sister St. Monica, your fifth grade teacher, just saying. Maybe for some of you, Christianity is anything but a party. It's drudgery, it's moralism, it's, it's uh, being told that's what the Bible says, believe it, and without actually having giving an explanation as to what that means. Maybe Christianity is about trying to prove yourself before God, but for a lot of people, and maybe even for some of you, and certainly for me at one point in my life, Christianity was anything but a party. If anything, it was drudgery. It was hard work. 
But what the scriptures teach us repeatedly is that the Christian walk is a party. So here's the reason why. Here's, the reason, here's what I mean by that. All suffering in this world, the, the Bible says two things, that suffering in this world is real, that we live in a fallen and broken world. We have things like Category 5 hurricanes 400 miles from here, right? The Bible is crystal clear that there is suffering in this world, but that suffering is temporary. And what Scripture also says is that when Jesus returns, the dead will be resurrected and that you and I will, be, will live as physical beings in a new reconstituted Eden. This idea of heaven as being, you know, floating on clouds and playing a harp is not biblical. The biblical view of heaven is a real physical place. I once said, uh, I think it was last Easter, I said, most people think of heaven as floating on a, plow, a cloud playing a harp. I said, how boring would that be? And I had a harpist in the, <laughs> in the choir. She was not happy with me. But then what I want you to see here is that if heaven is the goal, if the Christian worldview is focused entirely on heaven as the goal, that changes everything even now. It should. You know, everybody in this room, every single one of you, including me, is dealing with something right now. Every single person in this room, in this room is dealing with some sort of suffering in this world, family issues or marriage or finances or your health or whatever. We talk about, I talk about this frequently because it's true. Last week, I talked about the woman who was bent over, and we all know that when we worry, when we let our circumstances get the best of us, we are bent over. We only see downward. We don't see upward. We don't see the forest for the trees. We lose our view of heaven. Just last week, I was out outside of my house chopping down some palm trees because this storm was impending, and I, I just was getting ready to cut down this one palm tree and I leaned my ankle back. And you know there's that one spot in your ankle that if you hit it, it just really, you're out of your ankle, it just hurts. Well, I had new uh, spigots put in the side of my house. I forgot it was there. And I kicked my foot back and I hit my ankle in that exact spot on the spigot where it just sounds like a lightning bolt through your leg, right? And I praise God when I did it. Not exactly. But I will say this, you know, when that happens, or like say you're hitting a nail on a, and you hit your finger, right? All of your attention, every aspect of your being goes to the thing you're hurting, your ankle or your foot or whatever. What I mean by that is you and I, friends, if we're not careful, we will succumb to the tyranny of the immediate, the things in our lives that cause suffering, the things in our lives that grab our attention, the things in our lives that pull our being downward. That's what happens when we suffer. It takes all of our attention, doesn't it? It steals our joy. It makes us worried and fearful. But what the Bible says, friends, is that all this suffering, all of it, even remarkably death itself, is only temporary. And the problem is that you and I get fixated on our problems and we forget the end game. We forget the, the biblical worldview that says that heaven is our goal. That my point, first point, that heaven is a party and it's the party for which you were made. To keep your heads up and your eyes forward, focused on Jesus. That this world is neither the end or the goal, but only and merely a preparation. My second point then is out of this text is then how, if that's true, if heaven is the goal, if heaven is the party to which we all want to be invited, then 
how do we get there? Well, notice something really interesting. Jesus, let me show you this. Jesus, in verse 7, describes a parable. He says this, verse 7, Now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. Now, let me just make a very obvious, an important point. If I said to you this morning, once upon a time, there was a man and a woman who lived in a house. Once I say to you, once upon a time, what does that mean? What, kind of, what am I going to read you? A fairy tale, right? A parable is a story which always works like this, okay? In a parable, you have two characters, God and you, always. In all the parables, the parable is God and you. For example, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? It's a fictitious story. Guess who the Good Samaritan is? God. Guess who the man in the middle of the road is? You. And so Jesus tells, he says, let me tell you a parable about a wedding feast. And the characters in the story are very simply this. There's the host, there's the groom, that's God. And then there's, there's you, the guest. And the question is, which guest are you? He describes a wedding party, again, it's a parable, where the guests are jockeying for position. And at a first century Jewish wedding, the groom and the bride sat at the very head of the table, kind of like today, right? And then what people would do is they, the guests would gather around the table and you would lean over against the table on your arm and recline, basically. And the closer you were to the groom, the more important you were. And Jesus describes this parable how the people, the guests at the wedding, are all jockeying for position. The, more, the closer you get to the groom, the more important you are, see. And everybody wants to be a big shot. But there's the danger. Do you ever notice that whenever you try to prove yourself and your self-worth in the things of this world, that there's always someone who's going to beat you to it? Do you ever notice that whenever you look at the things of this world to give you peace and joy and happiness, there's always someone who's got more? And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself in one of two spots. You'll be jealous of those who have more and um, condemning of those who have less. Teddy Roosevelt, you know who Teddy Roosevelt was? He once said that, this is a great quote, comparison is the thief of joy. Think about that. When we compare ourselves to others, we're either jealous of those who have more or we resent those who have less. The point is that jealousy and resentment, anger and focus on yourself, all that does is steal and rob you of joy. And Jesus says, look, here's the deal. If you want to get into the wedding feast, if you want part of this heaven idea, save yourself the trouble. He says, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest spot. Why? Let somebody else more distinguished than you come along. I'll never forget a story. Kathy would remember this. Back in Red Bank, New Jersey, when I was the rector of Trinity Church in Red Bank, and uh, I came into the church, and it was a smaller building than this, and uh, there was a, a new couple with two kids sitting in the front row in front of the pulpit. The pulpit was on that side, right in the front. And I came out and uh, went up to the altar and turned around to do the, 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 the collect. The Lord be with you. And when I turned around to look to say, the Lord be with you, I saw John. John was coming down the aisle, and he was about four pews away from the front, and John always sat in that pew. And I, I turned around, I said, 
the Lord be with you. And I thought to myself, oh no, don't let this happen. And sure as shooting, John came up to the first pew and he took his cane and he tapped it. And they looked up and he said, you're in my seat. Don't do that. (laughs) Jesus says, when you go to a wedding feast, take the lower place so that you can in fact be invited up higher. And the reason this, Jesus makes this point, again, it's a parable, is listen, you and I, friends, we cannot earn our way into heaven. I mean, if you look at the guest list that Jesus lays out, he says, don't invite the rich and powerful. Don't invite the, the, those who have got the means of this world. He's, look at the guest list in the, in the kingdom of God. Who does he lay out? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In an agrarian culture, which is what this is, these people are completely helpless. But that's exactly the point, you see. So we are invited to the feast of heaven, but the cost of admission, listen, is humility. Not trying to earn your way in, but rather knowing that you cannot. Tim Keller, I'm a big fan of Tim Keller, many of you know that, has a great quote. He says, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. Think about that. That The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, and yet, and yet, more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to imagine. So here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus offers you a seat in heaven? Not because of what you've done, but despite what you've done. Jesus offers you a seat in heaven, not because you're a great person or me, but because he is, you see. And he loves you and me so much, he goes to the cross to pay for our sins, and he earns your invitation to the party. All you have to do is accept it, and that requires humility. So let me ask you a diagnostic as I wrap up. Here's a question. Are you on the guest list of heaven? Are you on the list, the guest list of the wedding feast, the party in heaven? Well, if I ask you that question and immediately your mind runs to all the things you've done in your life to earn your way, all the prayers you said, all the money you've given, all the time you spend in prayer, if your mind begins to run through all the things you've done, if you believe that you've earned it, then guess what? You're not on the list. But if you truly understand that it's not your effort, but Jesus' effort and your place, that Jesus died on the cross to save you, to set you right with God and accept that in humility, then the Bible says, welcome to the party. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.